Hello, and um, just while Tom's in the loo, I've got to put through a disclaimer for the following Theatrical Cut podcast. Um, basically, they had some sound issues, and yeah. Oh, hang on one second. How the fuck? Hello, my friend. How are you, Dan? I'm all right. What are you doing here? Well, I've been travelling the world ceaselessly, and uh, well, I've got to say, uh, um, uh, I just decided to drop in here because I believe that you are dropping a bit of a deuce on well, the. Uh, no, I was just about to say that the uh, theatrical cut they fucked up the sound again, basically. So it just sounds like. They, a, excuse me, sorry. They. Yeah, they, yeah. yeah they they it's, their, it's their podcast. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so who actually on the podcast sits there operating the mixing desk? Well, no, they did this time, obviously. But I, I. So did you leave them with instructions? No, I didn't leave them with the right instructions. You no, didn't write James. anything down. No, I didn't. No, James. So you lent them your equipment that you're quite au fait with using. Yeah, I, I'm pretty good with it. I think. Yeah. Yeah, so you so you left it in the hand of I mean, look. Yeah. Sonia and Terry, they're the talent, okay? Yeah. The talent shouldn't have to worry themselves with, you know, the technical side of things. So actually no. I think you should take some, if not all, and the majority lion's share of the blame for the uh well, for colossal fuck ups. Yeah, okay, it's my fault, James. That's right. Sorry. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's fine. Okay, well, the, the podcast you're about to listen to, I fucked up then. Um, it, there's a, a, a very echoey noise for the first 45 minutes because one of the effects uh, was turned on. Uh, and it's very difficult to tell until you're quite... I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't... I mean, it's not a massive surprise, is it? That like, I fucked up. That you fucked up, yeah. Nope. No, I suppose not, James. Are you going to be here long? Or just till Tom's finished having a shit? Um, basically, yeah. Until Tom's finished having a shit, he just you know asked me to come in here, and I, I heard okay. that you were trying to blame Terry and Sonia for all the problems that have been encountered with the the sound on their podcast. When it was and, my fault. And yeah, I mean, I overheard it, mate. And to be fair, I can smell bullshit a mile off. So okay, cool. Yeah. Thanks. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, then enjoy the next podcast. Yeah, you can still hear everything. It just sounds a bit echoey. It's like they're in a church hall, basically. Yeah. And you know, I miss Russ. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he'll be back soon. Yeah. No, I miss him. I don't like looking across the table at, you know, things. I like looking across the table at people. Okay. Yeah. James. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, you know, thanks for stopping by and and uh, getting involved in this uh, public service announcement, I suppose. No, you're very welcome, mate. Yeah, yeah cool. you're very welcome. I'll be back next time. Thanks. Okay. Enjoy the pod and don't forget to download the Too Much Time on Our Hands podcast as well. I would say that. I'm on it. Bye. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the first episode of 2019, Too Much Time On Our Hands, a theatrical cut. I'm still Sonia, and sat opposite me with his face, still very much for radio, is Terry. New year, new me, hello. New year, same you. Yeah, I was being ironic. Yeah. You alright? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. You? Yeah, I'm alright. Yeah. Thrilled to be back. Thrilled to be back in the conservatory. Well, I'll, I'll tell you my story now that I nearly told you I thought I'd get your reaction on air, so... <laughs> At the in-laws, as always, for Sunday lunch. It's, Today? It's, it's a tradition, yeah. Upon leaving, I've been holding in a fart for <laughs> roughly... It's already, ten, it's already funny. 10 to 15 minutes, because like, I can't unleash this on the family. <laughs> Unbeknownst to me, my in-laws are following us out the door. <laughs> so I get out. Luckily, it's a silent number. <laughs> silent but deadly. Yeah, Carrie and Daisy, silent number, get to the car. In-laws walk out. Oh, God, those drains are playing up again, aren't they? <laughs> And I'm just like, I'll just, I, I won't tell them that was my ass. <laughs> Carry on. Drains, I love it when, when someone farts and the drains get blamed. Um, 
I was at the gym the other day with uh, Rich training me. Not Rich from the fan club. Yeah. Rich the PT. And he was stood over me, passing me a heavy weight. And as he passed it to me and all the weight then came onto me, he said... Anyway, so I was driving past this sewage farm. <laughs> I was just like, whatever way this story's going to go, it's going to make me laugh. And I went, you can't say sewage and then expect me to hold this weight. So he had to take it off me. Let me get the laughs out of my system. But essentially, he'd driven past a sewage farm and his girlfriend thought he'd farted. <laughs> Sounds reasonable. With yeah, Rich, yeah, absolutely. Well, anyway, so um, I'm glad that we've started off our first episode of the new year talking, Start about, as you mean to go on. talking about farts and shit. Uh, which pretty much sums up our lives. Um, did you have a good Christmas, Sonia? Yeah, I did. It seems like ages ago now. It does. I mean, we're already in, what, the 93rd of January? <laughs> so it's a long old trek to pay, mate. <laughs> 93rd of January. It's quite funny for you. Um, yeah, seems like ages ago. I took my Christmas cards down today. Today? Yeah, I'm quite lazy. Aren't you going to get eternal bad luck because you said Christmas stuff? I thought it was bad luck to have it up after, like, the 5th of January or something. Um, maybe if you believe in that kind of stuff, but it's cards. Okay. Up in it. In we'll, it, yeah. We'll see. In it, blood. I have started to feel a bit poorly this afternoon, so maybe. Well, there you go. I'm actually dying. Christmas is coming for you. Because I left my Christmas cards up too long. Any road up. Right, we're going to start off talking about because um, we've got a mammoth roundup to do from uh, pretty much the whole of December and yeah. up to now. What is the date? today. It is the 13th of January. So we've got about six weeks worth of uh, shit to get through, haven't we? We have. Uh, which we're going to split over two episodes because it would be awful otherwise. Um, <laughs> quite, quite the podcast if we did all of them in one I game. mean, me and you would probably be loving it. Oh yeah, but we'd be pigs and shit. Everyone else would just be like, fuck me. It'd be like on airplane where the woman next to him just like turns <laughs> to a skeleton. Yeah, basically. Um... Yeah, so we're going to talk about some of the stuff we've seen at the cinema. But before we talk about stuff we've seen at the cinema, um, can we talk about Bandersnatch? Let's talk Netflix. Yeah, let's talk about the two big Netflix releases that we've uh, watched and that I think lots of people have been watching. Uh, we're going to start with Bandersnatch because um, I think it's fucking brilliant. Oh, I think it's a brilliant thing, but just like the sheer scale of having to make that and think of that mm. must have been fucking unreal. Like Charlie mm. Brooker must have literally like gone insane he is that. a genius I'm convinced oh, of it I mean obviously I don't think he wrote this one on his own I think it was very much a writer's room kind of a job on this but just to conceive of it and like the fact that obviously we're in a place now where something like Netflix can handle doing it yeah because if you imagine if this was on a DVD it'd be like <laughs> where it's flicking to the imagine right imagine if place. it was on a video <laughs> now fast forward to minute 15 do you uh, do you want to quickly explain the idea behind it in case anyone has been living in a cave yeah so if you have been living in a cave and but still have podcast access <laughs> yeah. Bandersnatch is the new episode well feature length episode of Black Mirror the Charlie Brooker f- series which essentially it's like fables about technology for the most part but most of the time it seems really good and it ends up being really shit but Bandersnatch they've gone down the route of choose your own adventure I'm sure I mean I've had books of them in the in my childhood where mm. it would be do you want to go down this road or that road and skip to another page so in this film you get to do that you get to pick what happens some of them are as trivial as what cereal would you like to have and some of them are as big as someone is dead would you like to bury their body or chop it up into pieces mm. um, but it's just 
I think there's five endings, is there, that you can get to, but there's many, many routes. It, I mean, the, when I watched it, it lasts, the first one lasted 45 minutes. Mm, yeah, that's about, about um, what I did. And I think the longest one you can get is about an hour and a half, but there is five and a half hours of footage on Netflix right, okay. to sort of take you through every single journey. Because if you noticed when, um, you know, if you pause something on Netflix, it gives you sort of like your progress, you can see how far into it, yeah. but it never quite, it always sort of just shows a tiny little time bar. Yeah. You've never really got an idea of if you're anywhere near yeah. the, I guess the end. Being on that section, depending on what journey you've taken, that could be 15 minutes in, it could be mm. half an hour in, so I guess that's how it would normally rate. But <clears throat> because it's Black Mirror, because it's Charlie Brooke, it has to be clever, this Make Your Own Adventure is about a computer programmer in the 80s trying to make a choose-your-own-adventure computer game called Bandersnatch based on the book that his mother loved. Um, and it's him trying to code this and say, you take him on the journey of is he going to work for this company is he going to do it on his own and it's like some of them are really trivial some of them are really big and some of the journeys you take are really fucking weird mm. but no I say I think it's really good obviously it depends on your journey as to whether you enjoy it but I don't think you can not enjoy it because it's just such such a feat of creativity it's it just really amazing is. I did it three times um like sat down through I didn't get to the end and then keep going back and trying oh, all the I different options I did three like complete sit downs with it um, and just just got to an ending yeah and then went back to it again and did it so I did it on like three different days um, and each time I had quite a different journey and a very different ending different no not always um <clears throat> Like the first two times I picked the same cereal. I know that like silly little things like the cereal, but did you notice if you picked a certain cereal that later on you saw the advert for that cereal? Yeah. You know, and little things like that and, you know, picking the soundtracks and stuff. And those choices obviously didn't have a bearing on which yeah. road it took you down. So you could constantly pick the same cereal or the same cassette or the same record or whatever. But, um, you know... Like the first time I selected yes to a question. The second time I did it, the same question I selected no. And then the third time I did it, um, I selected no. And, they, and uh, she said, are you sure? And yeah. I'd, I'd gone back and said yes the first time, but then I went no. And it, it just took it off on a, you know, quite a different tangent. And so there was... There were quite a lot of people, because um, we asked for people to give us feedback on this and quite a lot of people were saying oh, I kept putting the wrong answer and I was like there is no wrong no. answer it it take it kind of points you the way that it well, it doesn't point you in the way that it thinks you should go but it does lead you doesn't yeah. it so when it says are you sure most people are going to then kind of go oh I, I picked the wrong yeah air quotes again I picked the wrong thing I'm going to select the opposite answer but you don't have to yeah um I think it, I think it's amazing. I really, really do, and I'll probably do it again. Yeah. Um, what was your favourite ending? I mean, I like the really sort of dark ending that you can get to. Are we actually just going to say what the ending is? No, but that you can choose, um, like who you know, when he's he's looking up, saying, "Who are you? Who's controlling me?" Yeah. You have three different options, don't you? No, it's two. It's three. I only had two. Well, you only did it once, though, didn't you? Because it said, 
one option was Netflix, mm-hmm. and the other option was the symbol. Yeah, but then if you do it again, if you pick different options before that, you can get you get two different options at the bottom of the screen. Oh dear. Yeah. Oh, See, okay. it's worth doing it. I think more than once and choosing different options throughout because. Um, like I say, it took me off on completely, completely different What's tangents. What's the other option you can have there? Then? Um, it, it, it kind of maybe would give too much stuff okay. away if we, we start to. I tell you afterwards. I'll tell you in the break. But I liked the Netflix ending. Uh, I can't did you remember. choose Netflix? I did on one occasion, but I can't remember where that. Oh no, it's, that ran up back with the psychiatrist. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. Now I like the one where. He finds the rabbit. Oh. I didn't... I didn't get a rabbit. The rabbit from under the bed. Oh, that I thought you had an actual rabbit. No. I like that one. I liked them all. Every one I did, like I say, I got three completely different ones. They were all amazing. So, if you're listening and you haven't done it yet, do Bantersnatch. There's one thing I do want to go back through and redo to see what happened. Change the record? <clears throat> no, um... I mean, you might have thought get where he's on a balcony with someone and something happens yeah. and you get to choose what happens. I want to choose the opposite option of that just mm. to see what happens. Okay. But yeah, no, very much enjoyed Bandersnatch. Yeah, highly recommended. Um, uh, Bird Box. The other thing that lots of people have been talking about. And now about. people are driving blindfolded in America because they're fuckwits. Um, and just, it's meme central, really, with um, yeah. Sandra in a blindfold, isn't it? Yeah, and people are suddenly discovering who Sandra Bullock is. I saw a thing on Instagram, which is someone saying, I can't believe the woman from Bird Box is the same woman. It was her in speed. It's like. Her in speed? Yeah. Fucking hell, people are cretins. I oh, know. Um, so, Bird Box is. Uh, is a, what do we call it, a horror film? I think it, it's a horror it's gonna, thriller, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to slot into the horror Drama, genre. Drama, horror, thing. thriller, mystery. Um, I did read somewhere it was Sandra Bullock's first horror film. Premonition? Yeah. Again, possibly we would define it as horror, but I feel like people would. Yeah. Um, so, they there's something out there, isn't there, that we don't see? Yeah, something see. just appears. Um, sort of like a... Not a plague that takes over. What's the word I'm looking for? It is like an entity, isn't it? Yeah, it's something sort of like infects people if you like. That, if you see it, yeah. it makes you see something and it instantly makes you want to kill yourself. Yeah, so lots of people are killing themselves. So then ultimately people are going around blindfolded to yeah. survive. Um, and this is where we meet our characters. Um, and it, it's, it's a survival film really, isn't yeah. it? And then... Um, I liked are... the way they did it, though, flashing backwards and forwards mm. rather than doing it. I think doing it in a linear fashion would have been a bit boring, but, well, maybe not the beginning bit, but the second half on the river would have yeah. been quite dull if that had been one yeah, stretch yeah. of film. Um, and then you've got some people out there who are purposely not blindfolded because they want I to I think it's because they're crazy. I think yeah, so the it doesn't send you crazy. Yeah, it doesn't affect you if you're already mentally unstable yeah. um, and you want to make people see it because you think it's beautiful yeah. it makes you see something. Right, at one point we see someone's drawings of it don't we and it's like yeah. Babadook-esque because, because what, they're cl- what, what people are saying because we never see it we never no. see what they see but I guess if, if the idea is you see something that's terrifying to you then everyone's going to see something different yeah. but if you're of an unsound mind 
something which may be terrifying to someone may be beautiful to someone who's a bit yeah. crazy. But the thing is, they probably they were followed around by things they thought were crazy all the time anyway, like their mm. crazy imaginary friends. Because I actually thought, because the whole idea is that you see something unique to you, because I think one person that sees it starts talking about their mother, um, someone who's central to the plot just suddenly just starts crying. I thought Bird Box was what Sandra Bullock could see. <laughs> I thought it was some sort of childhood memory, like her dad got molested by Bird Box, or like, you know, something happened, and that was why it was called Bird Box, because oh. I, I found the title slightly odd. Yeah. Because it didn't, obviously, there is a box of birds in the film, but it just seemed a bit of an odd thing to title it on, if that makes sense. Yeah. But apparently they did create a beast, and they did film with it, and it looked so shit they decided to get... The, the director and Sandra Bullock never wanted it because they knew it would be, always be shit. Yeah. But they did film it, and then the producer never like, no, that's shit. So they I, cut um, it out. It was a giant snake, apparently. I always think things like that are better when you can't see it, because if it's supposed to be something that you look at it and you find it terrifying, it is going to be different for everyone. But I guess you'd see what Sandra would find terrifying, mm. wouldn't you? Yeah, I don't know. I'm glad we didn't get to see no, it. No, no, 100%. But maybe um, Charlie Brooker could work on something. It'll come up with options at the bottom of the, seat, at the, bottom of the screen saying, right, you're going to take off your blindfold, what are you going to see? Yeah. Um, or can you, you imagine that, take off your blindfold, yes or no? Yeah, that'd be amazing. Um... So a lot of people have been comparing it to A Quiet Place. I think it's difficult to compare them because, A, for a start, you couldn't see a quiet, um, this on a big screen, which I think it would have had a bigger impact. But I think like A Quiet Place, because it was just almost like an anti-film because it had no sound in it, whereas this is just a film where the people on screen aren't looking. Whereas A Quiet Place actually affected your senses because you couldn't hear anything and you're sat there in silence. Hmm. Um, I probably would still say I prefer Bird Box. As mentioned on this podcast, I had issues with A Quiet Place. I didn't really get in, get into it as much on the hill. Bird Box still has its issues, and I think a big part of that is they cover it because they just have that time jump. And it's like, obviously, a shitload of stuff must have happened. It's like, how the fuck would you make, like, get through that as a person? And they just skip over it. But I just thought, a bit more compelling, a bit more... Say the, the white rock rafting. I like the fact that you had like a secondary villain in this film as well with like the crazies, whereas in a quiet place you've got the monsters or whatever they are. Whereas this you've got that because you've almost got the safety of just keep a blindfold on and you're fine. So they introduce people, people are going to come around and forcibly take off your blindfold and hold your eyes open and point, not even just take your blindfold off, they're going to hold your eyes open. Um, but yeah, no, I thought it was re- really good. So it didn't like, have a massive effect. I know some people like brought them to tears and they were like, I thought it was very good I thought Sandra Bullock was very good I thought the bits with her with girl and boy as they oh, called yeah absolutely amazing brilliant um, but yeah no I thought it was really good um, yeah I also prefer it to A Quiet Place because um, similarly to you I didn't love A Quiet Place um, and I think we're in the minority there yes, but very much you so. know uh, so be it um, I really really enjoyed Bird Box like when I finished watching it I, th- I really thought it was decent. Because um, I watched it quite late, and I thought I'll get a start on it, but I ended up staying up till like two o'clock in the morning to finish mm. it because it was just I had to finish it. Yeah, I thought the the sort of relationship with her and the kids was good as well. Mm. I thought the kids were good in it. I mean, imagine trying to look after yourself and not be able to see, and then try and look after two children. Yeah. I think that's why they had to have the time jump because if you had them as actual babies mm. it'd be fucking impossible 
Yeah. Um, but anyway, right. So Bandersnatch and Bird Box come yep. recommended by us. Although you have to have a good telly or a good system for Bandersnatch because yeah. apparently on a lot of TVs it won't work because it needs certain technology. Which um, is why I was surprised it worked on mine. And we can't help you with what that technology oh, might be. Oh, fuck no, yeah. No. I did it on an Xbox. Yeah. Um, and that's as much as I could I had Lucy here to supervise me. Yeah, so. obviously, that's how you managed to watch it. Did yeah. she have to press the button for you as well? She actually did. She, <laughs> she was in control of it, yeah. I didn't know what was going on. Um, the only um, issue we had, no word of a fucking lie, by the time it got to the second question, the batteries ran out in the Xbox controller. That never happens, because we've always got one on charge. We couldn't find the other one. We're like, of all the times for this to happen, this has never happened in like the eight months I've been living here the fucking Xbox controller's gone dead and we need it to survive literally um, so uh, that did put a damper on it for about three minutes um, anyway up right so we're going to move away from Netflix and go to our cinema screenings uh, for the last six weeks um, should we start off with uh, an unlimited screening that we yep. both saw Stan and Ollie which we both saw at the same night, but separately. Separately, yes. Uh, so Stan and Ollie is the Laurel and Hardy picture with John C. Wiley and Steve Coogan. You a Laurel and Hardy fan? I'm not, not a fan. I haven't watched a lot to say I'm a fan or I'm not. I've not. I'm not someone who sat and watched all their films. I've seen bits and I do enjoy them, but I wouldn't say I was a fan, but I've, I'm not anti. I've watched the Christmas special. Um, Obviously. The Christmas film and... I was completely indifferent to it. Um, I went to see it because I really like John C. Riley. Um, so you're indifferent to this film, not Christmas? <clears throat> no, I'm indifferent to Laurel and Hardy. Okay. Um, I went to see it because, you know, we all go and watch anything. Yeah. Um, and I like John C. Riley. I'm not overly fussed with Steve Coogan as an actor. I love Alan. So I find it hard to see past Alan a lot of the time yeah. with him. Um, what did you think of it? I really liked it. Uh, while I was watching it, I was a bit unsure about Steve Coogan's accent because not being a fan, but obviously afterwards finding out that actually Stan Laurel was English. He was born and bred in England and moved to America to, like, to find his fame. Sort of made it make more sense. But no, I thought it was not brilliant, not an amazing film. Obviously, it's been touted around for Oscars. It's got a couple of BAFTA nominations. What um, Oscars has it been? Well, it's been just... Obviously, Oscars, it's just it's in the conversation for a lot of things. Okay. But, that's, but BAFTA's Coogan is up for Best Actor. Really? Yeah. And it's up for Best British Film. Okay. Um, I thought it was just one of those charming films. John C. Riley, I thought, was amazing. And obviously, his makeup is amazing. I thought Steve Coogan was really good. I think they did enough of having routines in there so that you got to see a bit of the Laurel and Hardy stuff without like, banging you over the head with it. And I thought it was just like a really nice story about these two guys. I mean, I read an interview the other day where the director said it's a love story between Laurel and Hardy. It's not like a sort of buddy film. It is a love story. It's well, he says <coughs> at one point, I'll, have, I'll be honest, I don't know which one's which. So Steve Coogan does actually say at one point, doesn't he? He's he says to his wife, Laurel. he says, I love him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he calls him babe. Yeah, everyone calls him babe. Um, and there's, so this is like them down on their luck, their career's gone by the wayside and they're doing like a theatre tour of the UK which it starts off really shit playing to like five people and then they start to build momentum and start to like fall in love with performing again because they haven't really seen or spoken to each other in a long time because 
Stan wanted to quit the studio they were at so they could get a fair pay, but Laurel was just, no, we're getting paid here, he started us off. Because I didn't realise as well, they like weren't friends, they got put together by the studio. It was like, oh, you told me funny because you're fat and you're thin. And that was what born mm. of them. Whereas you assume with like, double acts like that, like they, they've obviously always known each other and grown up together. But no, I say, I can't really remember too much about it, but I remember enjoying it, thinking it was a really lovely film. I probably would watch it again. I don't know that it'd be like an immediate purchase, but five for 30 Blu-ray or something, I'd look forward to watching it again. Um, so, as I said earlier, we, we watched this separately. Um, and when I came out of the cinema, I texted you guys and was like, what did you guys think? And I was, I was called all manner of names and like a mood hoover and a grump <laughs> and all of this because I found it a little bit boring. Um, but then I've never really found Laurel and Hardy that funny. That kind of humour just doesn't really do it for me. It's just a bit too nice. Um, you know, and people were laughing at stuff that I just didn't find funny. Um, and I thought the two lead actors were amazing in it. I th- actually thought the two wives were funnier. Oh, the Russian wife. Um, yeah, I thought, the two, I thought the two wives were... Uh, were a, lot, a better double act for me. They were more entertaining. But, you know, if you like either... I mean, I like uh, John C. Wiley. I think he's really good. Um, and that was probably the biggest draw for me. But, no, it's not one that I'd probably watch again. Definitely wouldn't buy it for my collection. Um, but if you like Laurel and Hardy, then, yeah, give it a watch. Give it a watch. What else have you seen at the cinema, Terry? Uh, so, obviously, we're going back a ways now. So I also saw The Old Man and the Gun back in December. So this is probably in the same category, just like a really nice, enjoyable film. So it stars Robert Redford as the titular old man. It's based on a true story. He's like a career criminal who's been in and out. He robs banks. But he's always been referred to as like this gentleman. He walks into the bank, he talks very nicely, asks to speak to the manager, then says to the manager, you're going to give me all the money in the bank, and like shows him his gun. And essentially, every time that the police turn up, they like, describe the guy, they're like, oh, we sort of look like this, but he was just really nice, and now everyone has a nice experience being robbed by him. And we basically pick up, he's like, <clears throat> I mean, I think Robert Redford's older than the guy was, because Robert Redford's in his 70s now, and apparently this is his last acting role. Um, and he's sort of, he's out again, he's planning some robs, and he meets Sissy Spacek. Have I said that right? Sissy yeah. Spacek? He meets her and they sort of have a bit of a romance. And he's very upfront and honest. She thinks he's joking. He talks about how he robs banks and he continues to do that. But it's just following him. He's got a couple of mates that he robs banks with and it's just, it's just this really charming story. And it's like the, the cop that's trying to get him also like appreciates that he's a... He's a nice guy. He's never hurt anyone. He's never fired his gun. And literally, like, he's robbing banks with police in them. The main police at the start, there's a robbery, and the policeman who tries to catch him is in the bank and has no idea it's been robbed until he's already left. And the guy comes out and goes, yeah, we've just been robbed. And it's like, who? That, that guy who just walked past you. And it's just... To say, it's not going to set the world on fire. It's just really nice. It's like an older cast, let's say, City Spacer. Is it like the film Red? Oh, no, they're all older than that. Uh, with a lot less action. Uh, is Danny it like, is in it, Tom um, Waits is in it. Is it like... Are you sure you haven't talked about this film before? I might have done. I think you it's have. Been off, my memory's not what it was. Is it like the best exotic marigold hotel? With bank robberies, probably. Yes. Okay. I've not seen it, but... I is it like... Um, oh, what's that film with uh, Thingy and uh, what's-his-face? Morgan Freeman, uh, Captain Picard and the other fella. 
I think they robbed banks. Anyway, um, as you can tell, I'm not very good with I names. I think you're on about the film with Michael Caine. I think the cards in it, though. Are you sure? Oh, maybe I'm just getting my old men confused now. Yeah, your old um, white men. They all look the same, don't they? Um, I think it's Alan Arkin. Oh, I don't think it is. Anyway, we'll look that up in the break because <coughs> clearly this is the most thrilling film that nobody's <laughs> ever seen. Um, right, you done with that? Old man and the gun done. Shall I do one? Right. So, um, next film I went to see, and I mentioned this when we did the Christmas pod when everyone was talking about films they were looking forward to seeing. I said I was looking forward to seeing Holmes and Watson. So, two days after Christmas, I had a day off and I went to see Holmes and Watson. Now, the Stan and Ollie film is, you said, tipped for awards. Yeah. Um, and I found it quite boring. The Holmes and Watson film has been absolutely slated. Um, but allegedly, people are walking out of screenings of it. It's... I find that hard to believe because if you're going into Holmes and Watson with Will Ferrell and John C. Reilly, you know what you're walking uh, into. Allegedly, <clears throat> people have been walking out of screenings. I went to see it, laughed my fucking head off for an hour and a half. I mean... This was perfect post-Christmas viewing for me. Um, I went to see it. Uh, the screen was full. Um, I think that always helped with the comedy. And everyone was laughing. It was, for me, brilliant. I think I gave it five stars on my letterbox. It's not a, it's not a five-star film in the sense, you know, of like... There's Os- different Oscar five stars, though, Exactly. Now, for me, if you remember, um, not last year, the year before, I said uh, Death of Stalin was my film of the year because it made me laugh so much mm. at the oh, cinema. Oh, really killed me. Um, Holmes and Watson just made us laugh. I went to see it with Rich, and it made us laugh so, so much. It's so stupid. And again, John C. Reilly is excellent in it. Um... So's Will Ferrell because you've got Steve Coogan in as well, which I thought was quite funny because you've got John C. Riley and Steve Coogan rocks up as well. And I was thinking, nobody's talking about the fact that they're <clears> paired <throat> up in two films that are so completely different that are out at the same time, there or thereabouts, anyway. Um, yeah, he plays a, a one armed tattooist. <laughs> um, and then, um, what's her face from Train Spotting? McDonald? What's her name? Katie name? McDonald. What? I think it's Kate or Katie. No, I don't think it is. Um, Kelly. Any, that's it. <laughs> She's in it as uh, Mrs. Hudson. <laughs> She's absolute filth. And it's just, it's just really, really funny. I really, really enjoyed it. Proper lol fest. So it definitely gets a thumbs up from me, Holmes and Watson's. Yeah. And I sent two of the guys from work to go and see it. They were like, you've seen this film. Will we, la- will we laugh? And I'm like, yes, because you're idiots. Um, <laughs> and they did. Um, yeah. I, I recommend it anyway. What else have you seen? Uh, so I also, again, going back to mid-December now, I saw Aquaman. <coughs> oh, yeah. <clears throat> uh, the latest DC offering. And I actually really enjoyed this. I went in with muted expectation because obviously every other DC film other than Wonder Woman has been pretty piss poor, very generic. Whereas with this, I went in with slightly higher expectation because it's directed by James Wan, who's obviously done... Saw. Did Saw, The Insidious, The Conjuring films, Fast A the one that Paul Wolf died making <laughs> which number? 8 or 7 say the number again eight. Eight. Um, so there was a bit more hope that this might be a bit different and it really really is It's. I'm still not sold on Jason Momoa he basically survives in this film with his shirt off and just like cocking an eyebrow it, there's so is, is he the new rock do you think? 
with less acting ability. I don't think... I feel like... Can I just cut in very quickly? Have you seen the pictures of The Rock, The Stafe and Idris Elba? Oh, you tagged me in one of them. Oh, Jesus did I? Prepped. Oh, my God. Where they just... Because um, Luke is called Brixton, isn't he? Just, yeah. What a name to oh. give Luther. I thought I was going to die. Oh, we didn't talk about Luther. Anyway, tell us about we your We can film. talk about that later. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I really enjoyed it. It's... I mean, it's your standard comic book film, but it's got a real sort of Guardians of the Galaxy vibe, that sort of not taking itself seriously, which I think has been, like, the big problem with the DC universe. And it's just... It's really silly. It's really bright. It's really colourful. You've got a giant octopus playing drums. Lovely. Um, obviously, Aquaman, it's Arthur Curry, who was born of an Atlantean and a human. Ugh. Uh, and he is the heir to the throne as the firstborn, but he lives on lives on land and he has no interest in going to Atlant- to Atlantis. He ends up being taken there because his brother is essentially trying to cause a war with the surface world, and he's trying to set that up and get rid of that. You've got Mira played by Amber Heard; she's actually really good. Um, Nicole Kidman plays his mum, and the, the fight scenes, like the hand tag comedies, are really Nicole Kidman really kicks ass in her scene, and it is. The way it's shot, like the camera's constantly sweeping. It's it's a really nice shot, and there's lots of nice fights in it. So it, it's just silly fun. So I'd call it Guardians, just because under the water you've got all of these amazing colours, all these amazing things. They ride crabs, they ride sharks. There's crab people. There's this weird. There's this giant like kraken-esque beast, which is voiced by Julie Andrews. Oh. Now, apparently, James Wan, when he wrote it, was like, it has to be like an English he said for whatever reason I have an English dame and he was like talking to Judy Dench Helen Mirren but Julie Andrews was number one and he didn't think he'd get her because she was doing stuff with Mary Poppins Returns at the time but she got involved so yeah you've got this giant sea beast voiced by Julie Andrews magical um, but yeah now I really enjoyed it very silly very enjoyable um, every time Jason Momoa is topless there's like this really hardcore like guitar riff over the top it's like very on the nose like OTT but yeah just very very enjoyable um, I have to say, when I saw a trailer for it, I thought it looked really good fun. It looked, yeah. Visually, it looked really, yeah. really good. It's just, it's not taking itself seriously. It's being very shoot. Like, there's one bit, it's in the trailers as a misdirector, but he's in a bar and it's set after Justice League, so people are aware of Aquaman and, mm. and someone comes up and you're that fish boy, aren't you? And Jason Morris stands up ready to like beef up and then he goes, Can I get a selfie? And then it's just like all these pictures of him getting selfies with this bike again. Um, do they ride seahorses at any point? No, don't, they don't ride it. They ride sharks, crabs. How big are the crabs? There's one giant crab. And Dolph Lundgren's also one of the other sea kings. Um, so it's nice to see him underwater with his hair flowing. Uh, it's really weird though because like, they've obviously all their hair is flowing because they're mm. underwater. But I saw some pictures of like behind the scenes and all of them got their hair tied up so it doesn't move, so that they can just completely digitally add yeah. in their hair. Which just seems a bit weird, doesn't it? So we can make your hair flow. We need to tie it up. But. Yeah. But no, I really enjoyed it and I would thoroughly recommend it. It's just yeah. past a billion at the box office. I do want to go and see it. It's on the list. Um, it's over, I think it's two hours and a bit. Ugh, but it, it, it's, one, it's another one of those that just whips along. Because yeah. I saw like a nine o'clock screening so it actually started at like half nine. So it finished at like half eleven, quarter to twelve and absolutely fine. How many more have you got to go on your list? Uh, two. One of which we saw together. Well, okay, together, I'll but. do my one next time. Yep. Um, so I went to see Colette, which was another... Um, I wanted to see that, but I was otherwise engaged. It was another unlimited screening, so uh, we saw it in advance a little bit. This is a film with Kira Knightley and Dominic West who play um, a married couple. Um, 
and it's set in France, so it's, it's, based, it's based on a true story, which I didn't realise. Um, based in France, French characters, but they're, they're all speaking English, but when, when she writes, she's writing in French, which is quite nice. Um, and Kira Knightley's character um, marries uh, Dominic West's character, Willie, who... Willie. Yeah, his name's Willie. Um, good dearie, mate. <laughs> Um, and she basically he persuades her to ghost write for him she starts writing these stories of her childhood basically and her sort of like time growing up and they publish these books Is under that his he name can't write or because he's got no he just needs he just needs something a little bit different so he kind of runs I don't think he runs a publishing house but he employs people to write and they get the works published um, and they might write articles for magazines or they write short stories that get published in magazines or they write books but he employs staff to do that but he want, but his name sells books so he wants something out under his name but he's struggling to come up with anything his wife writes these stories and at first he poo-poos them then he goes back to them a little while later and he's like oh actually we might have something here if we source it up a little bit um, Anyway, so she starts ghostwriting for him, and, and essentially the story is about them and their relationship and um, the relationships that they have with other people, because at one point they're both having an affair with the same woman. Mm-hmm. Um, Very saucy. Yeah. Um, and as the film goes on, it's, it's about her sort of like wanting to get her identity back and ultimately at the end of the film she does publish under her own name. Yeah, because the trailer basically makes it seem like she wants to put her name on it, he won't let her because mm. she's just a woman. Um, yeah, so it's, I think it's a little bit more than she's, she's just a woman because um, at one point he sells the rights to the books as well. She's kind of like, oh my God, you had no right to do that because they're my books. But um, anyway, to, uh, you know, at the end of the film she does actually publish under her own name because then it finishes and you get the whole thing up on the screen mm. saying, this is what happened to Willie, this is what happened to her this is what happened to this character, this is what happened to this. Um, I really, really, really loved it. Um, I, re- I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I watched it with uh, my mum. And I, as soon as it finished, I turned around to her and I said, oh my God, I loved that. And I didn't really get a response from her. So I don't know if she enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, but I really loved Kira Knightley in it. I think um, she's an underrated actress. She gets a bit poo-pooed, I think, sometimes. But I think sometimes she can be amazing, and other times I find her very wooden. So she's not really an actress that I see. I wouldn't go and see a film because Kira Knightley's in it, mm. but I, I do love her in a costume drama. Oh, Atonement. I think amazing. I really think that's where she excels. Um, and this is a costume drama. It's set in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And... One thing that I did come away with was some of the outfits she wore were so good. Like last year, um, we were banging on about Blake Blake Lively um, and how stylish she was. For me, this year, someone's got a top, Keira Knightley and Colette, because she just looked incredible in everything. At one one point in the film, um, she um, enters a relationship with this woman who identifies as a man, Mm -hmm. which at the time was very unheard of and this uh, woman wears man's suits you know she's got short hair um, and she 
she tries to look like a man. So then Kira Knightley starts wearing her suits as well. So she's wearing these men's suits as well. She just looks amazing. When, even when she's not, she doesn't wear the suits all the time. She doesn't identify as a male. I don't think she identifies as gay either. But she, she's, just, she's just an amazing character. She's not a character. She's based on a real person. But for the purpose of this film, she's an amazing character. Um, mm. And a very stylish one too. Is the chair a bit hard, dear? Yeah. Terry's just, had to, Terry's just had to sit himself on a cushion. I thought I'd done that seamlessly with making no noise and then you have to fucking bring attention to it. Well, I was... My gyros playing. Have you got piles? Of course I fucking have them. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if you did. Anyway, well, that was a nice ending to my <laughs> review of Colette. Oh, Terry, have you got piles? If there's nothing you take away from that review, it's that Terry does not have piles. Right, what else have you seen? You uh, so the last prick. film I saw that we haven't see, both seen is Bumblebee. Oh yeah, I do want to see this. So I went in again with muted expectation because although I love the first Transformers film from 2007, something like that, they have literally got shitter and shitter and shitter to the point Do you remember of, how sad I was after the second one? Because <laughs> the second one I came out with like, oh, it's okay. But the thing was they stopped, they got so long so convoluted every film was literally oh by the way Transformers have been here longer than that oh they've been so the last one is set in like medieval times with fucking they were helping King Arthur around the round fucking table um, and it just got so ridiculous but it, at the same time it was like they were very childish but the language wasn't for children so it's like are you having this at adults or are you having this at children so this is I believe meant to be a soft reboot of the franchise so this is a Bumblebee solo film it's set in the 1980s, so it has a fantastic soundtrack, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, the opening five to ten minutes gave me an absolute geek gasm. So oh, it God. starts with the war on Cybertron, but all of the robots and Transformers look like the cartoon versions. So my problem with like the Michael Bay versions, they made them look very like realistic. Their faces were almost like proper faces. Doesn't one of them wear spectacles? Yeah, one of them wears spectacles, they have beards, and when they're their cars, they're like proper looking like the cars, whereas in this, they had that real 80s cartoon look. Soundwave is actually Soundwave, and like, his chest opens, a cassette comes out, it turns into a cat, and it runs at someone, and it's properly just like, it was my childhood Transformers on the big screen, having a massive dust-up. Bumblebee gets sent to Earth as a scout, because... Earth is the only place where the Transformers can sort of rebuild them, or sorry, the Autobots can rebuild themselves. And he's sent to, as a scout to make sure that the Decepticons don't come. He's obviously followed by someone straight away, and he has this massive dust up. And then basically, he wins the fight, meets John Cena's character, who is like a colonel, gives him a dirty great scar accidentally because obviously Bumblebee doesn't hurt humans. We see Bumblebee lose his voice, he literally has his voice box ripped out. I was just about to say, does he speak? He speaks on Cybertron and then loses his voice and he loses... What's his voice like? He's Dylan O'Brien. Okay, I don't uh, know American that. Assassins. Oh. Yeah. I'm, I'm, for some reason I thought he was talking like a little, little boy. Yeah, so he's got obviously a young voice I think Dylan O'Brien's only like early 20s but um, obviously compared to Optimus very sort of childlike. Hmm. Um, yeah, there's a cat under the table. I'm yeah. not fucking playing footsie No, I knew that but I just wondered which one it was. Um... So during this fight, he has his voice box ripped out, he has like his power circuits ripped out, and he essentially, his last thing before he shuts down is he scans a beetle and becomes a beetle. And then it cuts to some time has passed, and Hayley Stanfield, Stanfield, who is also in True Grit. uh, Oh, is it her? Yeah, she's essentially like Sam Witwicky from the first film. She's 
like this 18-year-old girl, her father has recently died. She's not coped very well with that. She's just trying to put this car together that her and her dad were working on together. Um, and I think that's like her way to try and work through the fact that her father's passed away. Um, she goes to this scrapyard, sees this beetle, and then essentially doesn't steal the bill, but takes the beetle, and it's obviously Bumblebee. And when he first wakes up, he's got no memory of who he is, where he is, what he's doing. He doesn't know he's a transformer. He doesn't know he's an Autobot. And she changes his radio so that he can use the radio. And there's a lovely little montage where he's listening to music and she puts in the Smiths and he's listening to the Smiths. She's going, oh yeah, this is Morrissey. And he just fires the cassette across the room because he <laughs> thinks it's shit. Amazing. I want, yeah. I want to see this film right um, now. <laughs> so yeah, so then it sort of fares with like your standard Transformers stuff. Two Decepticons come to Earth looking for Bumblebee. They want to find where Prime is so that they can um, capture him and obviously remove the rebellion in the Autobots. They basically seek the help of the American government and they're like, um, where was I? So yes, yeah, so two Decepticons arrive. They're there to try and find Prime so that they can get rid of the Autobots. And they obviously say that Bumblebee's a deserter and he's a criminal from their planet. And the rest of them, if you help us find him, we'll give you some of our technology. And this is where I couldn't work out if John Cena was deliberately playing it in a way or if he was just a shit actor. I'm more inclined to think shit actor from the other things I've seen him. Mm. They're sat in a meeting room and they're obviously weighing up, do we give the, give the Decepticons a son? And John Cena's character just goes, I don't trust him. And he goes, they are literally called the Decepticons. Does that not like, trigger anything with anyone else? And I thought it was just quite a nice moment because obviously Decepticon is meant to be because they're the bad guys. Mm. And obviously they let them have the technology and it's basically intimated that the Decepticons create the internet while they're doing this. Um, and then, we well, don't want to get too spoilerific. It's well, you've pr- pretty much given <coughs> us a blow-by-blow account of the whole film. I mean, it's pretty obvious where it's going to end up, but then essentially they go after Bumblebee, Bumblebee remembers. It's, co- say, it's meant to be like a soft reboot, but there's lots of things that hint that this could be a prequel to the other films, and the other films could happen as they are. Apart from the very end, there's a slight tweak, but... So I really enjoyed it. It was back to being quite small. It's just Bumblebee and two other Decepticons just trying to stop these Decepticons from sending out the signal saying, come to Earth, that's where everyone's meeting, we need to get here. Um, but yeah, it's just really enjoyable, really fun. Saying. The soundtrack's really good. There's some really funny moments. I mean, most of it's in the trailers where they go to Egger House because there's this really horrible girl and Bumblebee obviously gets a bit carried away because he's a robot who's very strong. There's a bit where he trashes the house. Um, but yeah, no, really enjoyable. I would highly recommend it. If you like the first Transformers film that sort of fell away with the rest of them, this is definitely the Transformers film for you. Good. Then it is the film for me. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay, let's talk about the last film that we saw then um, the at the cinema, The Front Runner, which was another preview um, starring Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Of the Greatest Showman fame, just in case you didn't know. Um, and it's about a politician, Gary Hart. Hart. True story. Yeah, I didn't know that when we went into it. Who became the front runner for the eighty-eight, I believe it was. Democratic presidential front runner. Um, and it's basically about how so the, three weeks. the film starts with him as the front runner and it's how things can turn upside down in three weeks, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so slight technical hitch here. Um, we came up with a message on our screen saying something about a system overload. True story. Um, We're just too damn entertaining. Yeah, or it could 
It might have had something to do with the amount of windows that Dan had opened on his laptop. I hope you um, didn't look at all of them. I didn't look at all of them, no. Um, I've I've closed some and minimised some, um, but it did cut off um, us talking about Frontrunner. At the same time, we also discovered, which we couldn't hear, we've recorded the entire first episode with a sodding echo on it. We're not doing it again. Um, no. So we hope you enjoyed the echo up to this point. Up to this point. Um, and Terry... <laughs> Tell us about Front Runner. Funny you should ask. So the Front Runner is set in the 80s following Gary Hart, who is the front runner for the Democratic presidential nomination to then obviously go for president. Um, the film follows him over a three-week period where he starts off as the front runner. A scandal hits him, and at the three-week show him eventually having to drop out of the race because of said scandal, which essentially is him having an affair but mm. it's mentioned earlier on in the film that he'd had affairs before. He's been kicked out of the marital home. He'd ended up going back. Um, we There's a few papers that we sort of see it through. One of them is the Boston Globe. And they sort of talk about how everyone knows it, but it's not what you talk about. We're a proper paper. We don't talk about mm. tittle-tattle. We don't talk about that. We're, we want to know what, <clears throat> what his position is on the issues and what he's going to do for this country. Other newspapers aren't quite as scrupulous. Uh, he does an interview for the Boston Globe and the marital stuff comes up and he says at one point, if you want to just go ahead and put a tail on me, put a tail on me. And newspapers use that. So in the film, it's one newspaper, but apparently in real life, there were several newspapers that then started to follow him around. Okay. And this newspaper based in Miami catches him with a woman and it's all downhill from there. At the start, Gary is very much like, I'm not going to talk about it. It's my private life. It's got nothing to do with anyone. His manager, played by J.K. Simmons, like wants him to sort of just get ahead and put something out there. And he absolutely refuses to talk to anyone about his personal life because it's his personal life. His wife, played by Vera Farmiga, who is very good in it as well. Obviously, we haven't mentioned in this te- version that Hugh Jackman plays Gary Hart. Um, so she, we obviously see it from her point of view where it's, she's finding out through the papers that her husband's had what we, we assume is another affair um, and it's just like the media barrage of that, but it's very much a new sense of, I say, the Boston Globe starts off with, we can't say anything, that's not what we do. And in the end, they get in on the act as well, trying to find out what's been going on. And it just completely derails his campaign to the point of he has to just pull out because he, <laughs> <laughs> if only he'd done that to begin with, um, because he's just turned into absolute poison for the campaign. Um yeah, it's, it's basically, it tells the story of how his campaign falls apart in three weeks because he can't keep his dick in his trousers. Indeed. Um, so let yeah. that be a lesson to all of you. And again, just, I thought it was a very decent film. I thought it was really good. I thought Hugh Jackman was very good. I thought all of the acting was good, but it's not something I'm going to rush to see ever again. I've seen it, I enjoyed it, but that's probably it for me. Ticked it off, yeah. I thought the first half dragged and then the second half galloped along. Um, yeah, it, it was it was all right just didn't love it liked yeah. it yeah solid 7 out of 10 from me um did you watch luther i did watch luther thoughts really enjoyed the first episode and then it sort of tailed off for me i wish they had have stuck with the actual police story of that horrendous sex offender slash murderer because i thought that was really solid and then when it got into the bits and pieces of him and alice and the gangsters and stuff i just it was very good but i just I'd rather have seen that case. Yeah, the the murder case that they were investigating was proper Hannibal shit, wasn't it? Yeah, it was proper dark. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, Love Hermione Norris. 
Um, she was nice and cold and emotionless. Very cold. Don't you find with her? She seems to get across emotion without moving her face very much. Yes. She moves her mouth, but her face doesn't move much. And she always just seems so perfectly poised, no yeah. matter what. And I'm t- I mean her as a person. I don't mean her characters, but obviously because that's the way she is, it comes across in her characters as well. But yeah, I really, really like her. I loved having Luther back. He's such a fucking dude. He is. He didn't really show Alice very much in this one, though. And I just want to know what happens. There better be a series six because this really ends like there should just be another episode the next night, but it, it's not. It's finished. Yeah. Sweet. Okay, so let's round it up there um, with Luther. So apologies for the majority of this episode being echoey. We didn't know it was echoey. Although we if you like that, it. let us know. We can film them all. We can record them all echoey. Um or we can just stand in a tube next time and record it. Um, <laughs> talk down a Hoover tube or something. Um, so that was awful. Um, we, we don't want to re-record it, so you're just going to get it with an echo. Soz about that. Um, and then we had our uh, overload. Um, so 95% echo, hopefully 5% not. If it's still <laughs> echoing, fuck my life. Um, but good end to episode one. Now, exciting news for everyone. Um, over the Christmas holidays, Terry had a few days off work and he set us up with a Facebook page, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Because we want to be down with the kids. Next week, he's setting us up on MySpace. <laughs> it's going to be brilliant. Um, so if you want to find us on Facebook, I guess you just look up Theatrical Cut. We are Theatrical Cut, but we are... I didn't realise you can do ats. So we're at Theatrical Cut Pod. If you do that at in Facebook or just search Theatrical Cut, we've got the same logo that we have on Instagram. But if you go on there, everything will be posted and we'll be doing polls and stuff on there when we're talking about our topics and stuff. So it's just easier for everyone to get involved and keeps it all in one place. Yeah, we'll still be using the Instagram because uh, personally, we both like Instagram. Um, So we're on Instagram at Theatrical Cut Pod. Yeah. Terry's on there at Prefax. I'm um, at Mallory underscore watches. If you want to see our own sort of like personal things that we're watching before before yeah. they hit the newsstands, as it were. Um, but yeah, you'll see us a lot more on Facebook now after vowing that we would never go on to it. Um, we decided that the we very much demanded. Would. The public did demand it. Yeah, and we've still got an email address as well if you'd rather keep your opinions um, private and anonymous what's the email address we theatrical cut at gmail.com lovely you can get in touch with us there um, thanks for listening to our first episode back sorry it's been so disastrous and sorry um, it's been so long as well what since we've been here because yeah, the since... actual episode isn't that long no since we last recorded yeah because obviously this will be going we out break. Next, this will be going out on what like the 17th or something the last time we recorded was December we had a Christmas break we're allowed we to have a day we had off. a winter holiday we did. Got fat. Yeah, I didn't shave my legs for six weeks. It was magical. I got the shits on Christmas Day. Did you really? Yeah. No way. Like proper like... Where were it. you on Christmas at Day? Home. Luckily, it didn't kick in until I got home. It was We were at the in-laws, <laughs> but it was proper like pissing what out... What is it of, with you, the in-laws? It was proper pissing out my arsehole. It was, it was water. It was dreadful. <laughs> but you know, like, when you're not... I love s- how we've begun <laughs> and ended the episode talking about your bum. But you know, like, sometimes you know, like, oh God, there's something coming. <laughs> I went to the toilet because I thought I needed a poo and it just <laughs> fired out of me like a hose. <laughs> and on that note, um, Terry, have you got anything else to say? <laughs> no. <laughs> you want to do it? Uh, Mike, drop. <laughs> <laughs>